Hey everybody, this is a very special episode of Board Gamers Anonymous. This is a bonus episode. This is directly to you from our Patreon feed. We record these every month for Patreon backers. We really hope you enjoy it and you'll consider contributing and helping us with bringing the podcast to you every single week. All right, enjoy. Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, episode number five, bonus episode, games from other countries. We'd like to thank our Patreon backers for helping us bring this extra special episode. You're listening to a proud member of the Dice Tower Network, dedicated to bringing podcasters together for the greater good of gaming. It's sort of like Voltron but with better lip-syncing. Find out more at Dicetowernetwork.com. Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, the podcast with board gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together with our Patreon backers. This is Chris. And this is Anthony. Anthony, we are back for another special episode thanks to our Patreon backers. And this one in particular, I'm really excited about because this wasn't something that we came up with. This was something that our Patreon backers came up with. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, we did a, a review. I did a review of Iki, uh, I don't know, a month or two ago at, at this point. And the the whole point of that was I've had this game for two years and I finally got to play it. Woo! But I think people like that just because it was something off the beaten path. It's a game nobody's really heard of. And so when I put out the request, uh, Antoine in our Slack group uh, recommended that we do other games that are not made in the U.S. or Europe, where most board games are made. So we did a little research, pulled some games that we've actually played together, a few others that we've heard good things about or had a chance to demo, and we have about seven or eight different games here, might even be a little bit more than that, that are from other countries outside of Europe and the United States that are worth taking a look at. Yeah, and you can tell from the games themselves the uniqueness of its culture, of its society, of its historical past plays into the games so always really interesting to play board games especially the little bit more crunchy euro games because you get a map that possibly you may not be typically familiar with because of the artwork or because of basically geographically you may not be familiar with that and all the different languages and cultures and everything really comes out in the game in a really unique way and i don't know for me personally it's kind of funny because like growing up watching Looney Tunes, it turns out that I learned so much about classical music, but I only realized that much, much, much later on that I was, you know, hearing these classic pieces. And now as an adult, when I play board games and I walk away from a table and I'm watching something on television or people talking and I'm like, oh, I know exactly where that is. And, oh, I understand why they do that. Uh, just recently, a friend of mine went to Portugal and he was posting pictures about Lisbon and he was showing about the, these different constructions of the buildings and how the rubble was made up of the foundation. I'm like, Lisboa, they actually do use these cubes or in that case, the rubble that from their tragic history to rebuild these buildings and how interesting and how thematic that was for me personally. And I actually got a new, a piece of history without actually even being there. So These games tell us so much about our world and the different people that inhabit it and our relationship to them. And it's really a wonderful way to kind of 
connect and communicate with different cultures and different backgrounds. So I'm actually really excited about this. And if you're a Patreon backer, which of course you are because you're listening to this episode, please hit us up with more interesting topics so that we can follow up on a future episode and put something that you want to hear out on the table. So with Anthony, with that said, I know you have a tremendous list for us. So why don't you start us off? All right. So let's kick it off here. The first game I wanted to talk about is the game that we reviewed just a few weeks ago. Iki. This is by Kota Yamada. Uh, it's from the publisher Utsuroi. And it was available, I believe, on Kickstarter originally. So mm-hmm. you could get it in the US. It is currently still on the BGG store. It's been up there a couple times. I'm looking at it now. They have it in stock. And this is a great little rondelle game in which you are moving around and activating different artisans in, in the, the marketplace and building up points based on basically getting these artisans to the point where they can retire, come back in front of you and be worth points at the end of the game. So it's, it's all about kind of manipulating the board and putting things out in places where people will interact with them. There are dozens of cards, a lot of different professions. It ramps up really well. The board is beautiful. The artwork is beautiful. It's all this, you know, same style of woodblock print artwork um, on the cards, on the board, on the cover of the box, all sorts of great content. So it is um it's a game that's made it into my collection as just a really solid midweight strategy game. Picks about an hour and a half or so, and it doesn't really play like anything else that I've played. So I'm really glad I managed to track this one one down. I think I got it at Gen Con like two, three years ago actually, from the publisher. I'm glad it's actually available for other people as well. Yeah, I really love this. You know, so much of the manga and anime that I that I watch and read comes typically from that Edo period. So to be able to see this in a board game that isn't just a typical pandering, but is culturally sensitive and really, you know, shows the experience of life back then with this authentic artwork. And this is definitely one of those types of games that if you bring this to the game night, everyone's going to want to play and pretty much no one else is going to have this. So this is definitely something that people should look at. And man, do I love a Rondell? Yes. Yes. All right. So the next one up on the list is a game that I was introduced to by um, one of our listeners. Actually, we met them at a convention of a few years back, uh, Michael, and it's The Capitals. So The Capitals is a city building economic game from Brazil, uh, designer Tiago Boaventura and publisher Mercury Games. And it is it looks a lot like any other you know city building game but it does have its own little quirks and special flavor and coloring it definitely feels different than all these other city building games that you have that are very staid and very you know they're not as colorful and this isn't really cartoony i'd say but it's just it has more life to it than a lot of these other games um it it really captures kind of the fun and joy of building a city at least for me i i find joy in these things um and the whole idea here is you're trying to earn the right to to host the next world expo so you're trying to build not just a city but like a world-class city um Mm -hmm. you know starting from victorian area moving up to modern day so it's kind of a cool take on things kind of a south american view on western city building and it looks really cool yeah, this game is often compared to in, I guess, in the same breath with Suburbia. But whereas Suburbia is a fantastic game, it really does lack the spirit of the Capitals in particular because you are building this very plain, industrial, monochromatic kind of Suburbia area that typically everybody here in the U.S. more or less tends to live in where it's just like, 
one section's commercial, one section's industrial, this is residential. But here in the capitals, it's a there's a different mentality to it to actually have a living city where it's the culture and the color and its hospitality is shown in its design. And once again, that's very in, innovative and something that I haven't seen in a typical kind of sim builder, at least in the board game format. Yeah, for sure. All right. So the next one here is another game that kind of takes a, a mechanic we're all familiar with and I enjoy and has a kind of a unique twist on it. And that's Patch History. And I'm going to mess up these names for the designers, but it's Yung Min Jung and Jun Hyuk Kim uh, from Denko Games. And mm -hmm. this was, it was actually released in the West. It was available for a little while. Um, and it is a civilization game, a city, kind of a little bit of city building in there, but mostly kind of a civilization uh, approach. And unlike a lot of other games in which you're laying out tiles and little miniatures and building out this big sprawling thing or building cards out in the case of Through the Ages, you're building a patchwork with these little tiles. So it takes place over three eras. You have a five by five in the first era, then it goes to six by six and then seven by seven. And you are trying to lay it out in a certain way to activate cards in a certain way to build up your civilization and it has everything that you'd expect with diplomatic actions domestic politics war is involved in the game as well um, it's a little difficult to learn the rules are pretty dense it's hard to lay out there were some component issues but at its core it's a very very solid civilization game um, out of south korea and one that i wish you saw more often especially because it had that release out here but it's a very solid game um, it was nominated for the Goblin Magnifico back in 2015, so that's the top game in uh, Italy, I believe. And so it has gotten a lot of recognition, but it's kind of dropped off in recent years. I don't see it out as much. Yeah, one of my favorite mechanics is tableau building, and I love civilization games, and we've talked about so many civilization games previously. What's interesting about Patch History is that all of the characters, all of the resources, all of the monuments and structures that make up that particular culture actually do once again as as the title would infer they are patched together so when you build this tableau it's not like you have your leaders all the way to the left and you have your buildings all the way to the right kind of like a, a seven wonders kind of setup where all of these things are separate but we know culturally they're not the monuments are there because of the great leaders the resources are there because of the people so forth and so on and when you look at the table and you see this tapestry kind of put together, it literally does kind of evoke patch history in a, in a nutshell. So, yep, it's a great game. All right. So moving on to the next one, we have Three Kingdoms Redo. This is a game that for a long time was hard to find. It was available on the Board Game Geek Store for a short period of time, but Capstone Games picked it up about a year ago. And so now it is much easier to find. It is a three-player only game, and it is based on the Han Dynasty, and which going back to like the third century BC, um, all the way up through the second century, uh, and the Yellow Turban Rebellion. So it's a very, very popular theme and uh, period in Chinese history, the Romance of the Three Kingdoms. Famous stories are written about this. There's dozens of movies. It's very popular. And so this is kind of the ultimate board game representation of that. It has a little bit of everything. You've got the economic engines in it. You've got territory building. You've got the area and influence controllers, a little bit of bidding, some card draft. There's everything you can think of in this big, big, heavy game. It's got a weight of like a 4.03. Um, the time on the box is up to around three hours. I think that's probably on the low end. It's a big, long, only three-player game, very dense and hard to get into. But if you can play it 
and appreciate it and you enjoy these kind of heavy games, it's fantastic. And uh, it's coming out of Singapore uh, and kind of touching on this theme in, uh, in a new interesting way that Western games have touched on, but not really as in-depth and certainly not as based on the original literature um, as this game is. Uh, it's it's kind of a one-of-a-kind experience you're not going to find anywhere else. Yeah, this reminds me of Twilight Imperium 4 in a lot of ways because you really are playing out that civilization in this kind of epic format. Solid, crunchy game, as you said, long game. You are typically playing out every part of that civilization, and especially from a you know part of history that we typically don't take a look at. So I really like to see this on the list. All right, so next one up here is out of Australia. This is Unfair. This is not a hidden or unknown game. It was on Kickstarter, made a lot of money, came out last year. But it is it's kind of an interesting story because the company that published this is actually a chain of game stores in Australia. We actually met, met these guys in Indianapolis last year at Gen Con. And this particular game is a very, it's not unique in a lot of ways, but it does have a lot of cool ideas and you're building out a tableau and it can be kind of mean, but it doesn't have to be mean. <laughs> and it's very clever and creative and does some pretty cool stuff that you don't necessarily see in other games of kind of this weight. So it, I don't know, it's kind of all over the place in terms of how you describe it, but at its core, it, you're building a theme park, it's card drafting, and you are trying to, to get the best possible attractions and upgrades and workers on your side and then do damage to everybody else when you have a chance. And uh, it's a fun game. If you haven't had a chance to play it, you definitely should track it down. Don't let the meanness of it scare you away. Um, there will be a couple moments in the game where people pick on each other, but like most games like this, usually you're just working on your own stuff. Yeah, and you need a tremendous amount of table space because this game has cards to no end. But Basically, as Anthony said, you're building up some crazy amusement park here, and you could tell this is a game for gamers because every possible game mechanic, as far as a tableau builder is concerned, using kind of take that cards is here in this game. But I, I guarantee you, if there's one good thing about this game, you'll never run out of options. So interesting. All right. Uh, next game on the list here is Corona de Hierro. This game is. It's a game about it's medieval times, and there's point-to-point -point movement based on die rolls and your little dudes. It won several awards. Um, the Premio Alfonso y Mejor Production. <laughs> I'm saying these things horribly, I know. It is an award for the, the best games published in Argentina. So this is an Argentinian designer. Um, again, another game out of South America. And uh, it's it just looks very interesting. It's kind of the game we don't really have in North America yet. Um, has been released in the West, but it's getting a lot of good buzz um, from designer Franco Tofoli. Yeah, I really like to look at this game. And as you mentioned, Anthony, this is not just we haven't gotten this game here, but we haven't had this type of game mechanics here previously. So I'm not sure if Board Game Geek has to do this or someone has to pick this up, but people should really be promoting this game because I think that if this game does get a U.S. distributor, it would kind of make a big splash. Yeah, for sure. And I think Board Game Geek does a lot of that. So yes. we'll talk a little bit more about that in a bit. Next up here is Tokyo Highway. This is, as you can guess, out of Japan um, from designers <laughs> Nautaka Shimamoto and Yoshiaki Tomioka. It looks really cool. I mean, you, if you look at the game, you have all these different levels of pillars and then these sticks that you're trying to lay across them and you're trying to move your cars along. It's It's a dexterity game. It's also a root building game. It finds a way to mix the two. Like it has some 
strategic elements in the game. It's not, you know, the weights around it too. It's not like a complete, just straight dexterity game, but it's also a dexterity game. So the mixture of those two things and something that you see in, you know, several other Japanese designs is it's a small, compact game, mixes a lot of unique elements and does it in a kind of clever, almost abstract way. I mean, you're not, you don't have these big cars or these big, you know, the production here is not way over the top, but it's a lot of cool ideas. And this is a game that I also picked up, I believe, on the Board Game Geek store. So uh, they hit us up there as well. Yeah, as you mentioned, Anthony, Japanese design, especially infrastructure, modern, clean, sleek, simple, but beautiful. And this game kind of embodies all of that. It's just something to kind of behold just from an aesthetic point of view. But the gameplay is one of those things where it's simple, it's very logical, and once you get hang of it, it's something that you definitely would love. All right, so speaking of simple, um, we have Guns and Steel. This is a um, civilization card game that was released in Taiwan um, back in 2015, and then Tasty Minstrel brought it uh, to the West on Kickstarter, I believe a year or two ago. So this is a game that you were able to get at some point. Um, before that, it was relatively hard to find. But it is, it's designed by Jesse Lee, and it is a almost purely card-based uh, civilization game. Pretty light on the artwork, pretty light overall, mechanically speaking. I think it's a, around a weight two and a half. So compared to other uh, Civ games, it's kind of on the lower end, and it takes about an hour, hour and a half to play. But the whole idea of like technology being both good and bad and mixing in a take that element into a civilization game, it's cool. <laughs> and some people don't like it as much, but I find it very interesting and unique. And anytime you take mechanics and themes that I really like and add new cool stuff to it, I'm all about it. Yeah, I think what's interesting is typically when you're playing a civilization game, it's all about building a civilization to a point, but it doesn't take into consideration the kind of the roller coaster and the ups and downs. This game does because it's not all about just kind of building up, but how do you recover from a fall? And there will be several falls in this game. And obviously trying to take out your opponent throughout the game. But at the same time, you're trying to, you know, strategically place yourself so you're in the best position to win. A really different mindset is needed to play this game. And I, I don't think I've seen a civilization game like this before. All righty. And then the last game on the list is Rescue Polar Bears, um, originally by Derek, Darren Black and Huang Yiming, and then re-implemented by Rescue Polar Bears data and temperature designers Joe Kung and Huang Yiming. This is out of China, and it is a game about rescuing polar bears, as you might imagine. So we actually saw this at PAX. They had a, a copy of this there. It's relatively recent. I think the original game came out in 2016, and it was re-implemented in kind of this updated version last year. And it is a cooperative game in which you are, as you might guess, trying to rescue polar bears from global warming as all the ice melts and they die. So it's depressing, but <laughs> mechanically speaking, it's actually a very solid game and has a lot of very interesting ideas. And honestly, anytime a game... Um, especially cooperative games, which I think do this really well, take a theme that's kind of thorny and makes people think and does something good with it where the game is actually well implemented and fun to play, even if the theme is a little heavy. I'm all about that. So this is a game that, uh, you know, hopefully gets some uh, attention out West because I think it's, you got these cute little polar bear meeples and then their ice is disappearing and it's just, it's it has an impact. Yeah, and this is one of those games, and once again, as you mentioned, like taking Chinese culture into consideration, 
it's not that American bravado where everything works out, everything's going to be perfect. It's there's actually wind conditions in this game that are not always the most positive. You're just trying to do the best that you can. And obviously in this thematic and real life situation, these things are happening. Polar bears are being wiped out. So maybe a call to action in this place. Actually, this game is trying to do that there. The pieces and components in this game are amazing. They're top notch. I, I really do love this game and would recommend you take a look at it just, just from the, the aesthetics. I mean, it's so elegant and beautiful and as Anthony said, it's very sad. I mean, you just take a look at the cover and you take a look at the state of the world. We got to do something. Maybe this game helps a little bit to that end. And I think it's definitely something that people should check out. It's a really good co-op game for about one to four players. Yeah, for sure. And I think this one was up on Kickstarter originally. So uh, I don't think it's shipped out yet. I don't think it's available everywhere. But we did see a copy. We did get a chance to, to take a look at it um, just a few months ago. And that's that's an important part of this too. Like you might be hearing some of these and be like, "Well, where is that even available?" And for the most part, if you look hard enough, most of these games do become available. I think half the games we talked about were either published by or released by a Western publisher uh, for the U.S. and Europe, and the rest of them, you've got people like the Board Game Geek Store, which imports a lot of stuff. Like especially out of Japan, I think they go to the the game market every year and they bring back a lot of games because I've gotten several uh, Japanese games that I quite enjoy directly from the board game geek store so that's definitely a place to check out if you haven't yet yeah i picked up a number of the oink games before they kind of had the i guess the u.s distribution on some level and really enjoyed like a deep sea adventure which was like 22 dollars, and I, I played that game a whole bunch and there's just a lot of great ideas that are going around internationally and one of the great things about our industry and board gaming in general is that those ideas can be made tangible by almost anybody whether it's through Kickstarter or the Board Game Geek Store or Print and Play or just gamers sharing games. I mean, we are a great and diverse community of people internationally, culturally, and every other way possible. So these games are a great representation that gaming is going on around the world and everyone's enjoying this fantastic hobby. So let people know if you do like these games and it'll hit our shores a lot sooner and support those great designers who maybe haven't had the attention that some other designers have had. So wonderful list, a trip around the world with Anthony, exploring all these wonderful games. And once again, thanks to all our Patreon backers for helping us bring this episode to the table. All right, until next time, this is Chris. And this is Anthony. And we'll save you a seat at our international board gaming table.